0: I'm the owner of Free Math and Nutrition, a nutrition coaching practice helping women make peace with food, heal their relationship with their body, and create sustainable health habits. We welcome all foods over here, from kale salads to queso and everything in between. Let's dive in. Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode. I am really, really, really excited for y'all to hear today's conversation. I sat down with Mimi Cole, who is a therapist in training. So she just recently started graduate school in North Carolina to become a therapist. And she shares with us today all about OCD and the connection that we often see with clients who also struggle with eating disorders. So she really helps to define for us what OCD really is and what it's not because it's also kind of a glamorized topic in our society with phrases like, oh my gosh, I'm so OCD. So Mimi helps to really explain to us what exactly OCD looks like and some strategies to be able to really cope with OCD and work towards recovery in your eating disorder journey as well. So, I'm excited for y'all to tune in to this conversation. So, here is today's conversation with Mimi.
1: Hey Mimi, welcome to Food Freedom Podcast. Hi. I'm so excited that you're here um, and that we're able to record. I know this conversation, like I was telling you kind of before we hit record, I've been so looking forward to this conversation. And I know all of the listeners will get a lot from this as well. I'm so excited. Yeah. So to start, could you just take a minute to introduce yourself, who you are? Um, I know you just recently moved and had some career changes. So just tell me a little bit more about that.
2: Yeah, so um, I just started, or I will start in a week, graduate school to become a clinical mental health therapist um, or counselor, and I moved from Nashville to Chapel Hill, North Carolina um, to start school, Um, and then I just started working at an eating disorder treatment center as a resident patient assistant, Um, and so it's been crazy these past couple of weeks just kind of figuring out um, school and requirements and work, um, and Instagram and all the things. So. Yeah. Oh, all the things. I know your Instagram
1: is, so, I'm obsessed with your Instagram <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure like, has it been, have you been enjoying, cause you, you've been doing your Instagram for a while,
2: right? Yeah. yeah. It's really fun, but the more people that are there, the more, um, DMs and everything. <laughs> yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. It's like, and it's hard to navigate that. I've learned that too of like, do I need to respond to everyone? Like what, and you get some like random things and yep. yeah. <laughs> like we need like a class on like how to navigate Instagram yes. as a professional. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's so awesome. So tell me a little more about what led you to become a therapist. Like, is yeah. that something you kind of always wanted to do or
2: yeah, tell me a little more about that. I wanted to be a special education teacher at first, Uh Um, and then I realized that um, I didn't really want the set schedule of like eight to five or whatever it was. Um, And I really liked working with people through their um, distress and through their problems and everything um, and celebrating with them when they had joys and wins. And so I knew that I wanted to hear about people's stories and um, how they functioned and what led to those those different responses of communication um so I first started going to therapy um in college and I loved my therapist a lot um and so I really wanted to do what they were doing and um be able to sit with people and hold space for them
1: yeah that's that's so awesome and so really would you say like did you change majors in college or did you go into college yeah you did
2: Yes, I changed majors. I was a special education major, and then I switched Uh to um, something called Medicine, Health, and Society, um, where I could do specialized projects.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. So what's, like, your goal as a therapist? Like, do you want to open your own practice or work for a treatment center? Or, like, what's kind of the dream?
2: I would really like to open my own practice. Um, Mm -hmm. And I would really like to specialize in trauma and eating disorders um, and maybe OCD as well. Um, Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Well, yeah, that's what I would love to talk a little today
1: just about kind of the areas that you specialize or will specialize in. And I know you mentioned trauma and OCD, and those are a lot of what I see with clients with eating disorders. Um, So, yeah, so I would love to hear maybe first kind of to dive into OCD. I know we were talking about this a little bit or before we hit record, just kind of about the, I don't even know how I would word it, the phrase that can get thrown around with OCD that I'm sure is not super sensitive to people with OCD. So, yeah, maybe just tell, tell us a little bit more about like what the actual definition of OCD is, what OCD actually looks like um, and maybe what even led that led you to like wanting to get into that like work with OCD
2: Um, so OCD stands for obsessive compulsive disorder Um, I know sometimes it's thrown around that it's like obsessive Christmas disorder like obsessive Um, Mm -hmm. and all these different little things that minimize the real the reality of what it really looks like um, and so the typical idea that people have about OCD is that it's hyper organization and hyper cleaning. And it's that it's this sport or this trait that people kind of choose. Um, mm-hmm. And that's just not the case. Real OCD. I love the hashtag real OCD. It's very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> um, but real OCD can look like um, an obsession with organization and cleaning and um, having things be a certain way. But it's really distressing and egodysonic, so it means that it's opposite to the person's values. Um, it also usually comes with compulsions, and so um, there's also pure OCD, um, which is purely obsessional, but usually that means that there's just mental rituals or things that you kind of do in your head rather than mm. physical compulsions. Um, and so compulsive behaviors can look like doing certain things so that you keep other people safe and it's not a true Mm -hmm. association that you're keeping people safe but it's this um this protective mechanism almost where you kind of feel like you're doing something to help them um Mm -hmm. and then obsessions come in many different forms and so those can include contamination obsessions which is the most you know talked about usually um, um but there's also harm mm. obsessions or sexual orientation obsessions, mm. um, pedophilic obsessions. You know, they're they're not really as um, fun as, like, just being yeah. So Yes.
1: And as, like, I feel, like, glamorized. Like, it's easy to make. And I think that's what when people throw around the term, like, I'm so OCD, it's usually about things like that, like, organizing their, like, pencil drawer or, like, mm-hmm. organizing your spice cabinet where – Like, that probably is not exactly what someone would refer to as, like, true OCD.
2: Yeah. It definitely has to do with, like, the distress around the disorder, Mm -hmm. um, the compulsive need to do things rather than just, like, oh, I really like things clean. Um, Yeah. And so it's a lot about, like, the pathological nature of OCD and how it really Mm -hmm. takes over your life. And what do you see? And this may,
1: I'm sure, differs person to person, but like, what are some of the things you see are kind of like the root behind? Like, is it like wanting to have control? Like, what do you think is a lot of the, like, I don't even want to say like the bigger issue, but kind of like the root behind it?
2: Yeah, I think a lot of it is wanting to keep ourselves and other people safe Mm -hmm. from discomfort Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. bad things happening. Um, Yeah. And so I think a lot of the obsessions are like, what if I hurt someone in this way or in a certain way? Mm. Um, And how do I protect them by doing something about it? Because we're so powerless sometimes and we feel like Mm -hmm. we can't do much for them. And so it's really helpful to the OCD to find ways to find certainty and to find Mm. um, ways to keep people safe.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so then do you see OCD and trauma like going hand in hand or do you are they kind of different? I mean, I know they're obviously different, but you know what I mean? Like <laughs>
2: Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, I think that OCD is traumatic. Um I think that intrusive thoughts when they're played over and over, especially because normally people with OCD suffer for an average of I believe it's 10 or 11 years before they Mm -hmm. receive um, a diagnosis or understand what they were going through. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think those are tied. And um, OCD is a chronic condition, so I think mostly people Mm -hmm. are born with it, Um, but trauma can also contribute towards um, perpetuating the behaviors and Mm -hmm. making it feel more necessary to be able to keep people safe, especially ourselves.
1: Yeah. And so why do you think people you mentioned it. they take like 10 plus years to actually get treatment and get help. Why? And maybe you've seen this in experience. Like why do you think it takes people so long? Like do you think some of it's not realizing that they have OCD or kind of shame behind it? Or what do you see there?
2: I think part of it is that there are a lot of um, taboo thoughts and behaviors. And Mm -hmm. so people are afraid Mm -hmm. that they bring them up to their therapist their doctor that um that they'll turn them into like the psych hospital or they'll turn Mm -hmm. them into the police or something um and I think a lot of it too is that people just don't know what OCD is um really and so they think like oh that's just being clean and organized or I don't have a name for what I've been experiencing because it's not very talked about um at least in my experiences so
1: yeah yeah and why do you feel like it isn't talked about
2: I think people just don't know what it is really. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that if we really talked about it, people would be uncomfortable and people would Mm -hmm. feel like, well, I mean, everyone has intrusive thoughts like that, like OCD. um, But it's something that we don't really talk about in general because they're so, um, you know, like considered so weird or like so bad. Yeah. Yeah. Like they feel like they're not understood. Mm -hmm, probably
1: yeah Uh, and so then I know in my own experience with clients I've seen a lot of correlation between eating disorders and OCD Um, so I would love to hear kind of a little bit more of your thoughts on that or if you've seen that as well um, and kind of how you could see those two kind of being correlated
2: yeah I think that um I like to think of eating disorders in terms of obsessions and compulsions, especially Mm -hmm. in terms of orthorexia, where you have Mm -hmm. an obsession with clean or healthy eating or with weight gain or weight loss. Um, And then you compulse by restricting your food or purging and binging or doing some Mm -hmm. sort of behavior to help you get rid of those feelings um and i think with ocd a lot of it is about not being able to tolerate discomfort and i think that those same principles apply to eating disorders of not being able to sit with weight gain or things that are uncomfortable Mm -hmm. um and so i think there's a lot of correlation there especially with Mm -hmm. like um orthorexia like i said before so yeah yeah
1: because yeah that makes a lot of sense with the like clean eating, trying to be as best, like, as best as possible, restricting or binging, purging, that sort of thing. That makes a lot of sense. So kind of moving to a little bit more of, like, tips, advice, like, strategies you have for people who struggle with, whether it's just OCD in and of itself or OCD, and they're also navigating an eating disorder, trauma, if they're in the mix, too, because I know, I mean, I feel like we – you probably see this as well where a lot of times it's more than just one thing. Like it's usually a name disorder and a history of trauma or OCD and trauma. And there's always multiple things there, but yeah. So what are just some common like tips, strategies that you typically give to clients or even on Instagram? I know we talked about how (laughs) you're active on Instagram. So just common strategies that you give for someone Like, let's say there's someone listening who's like, okay, I know I struggle with OCD. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: What are some things that I should do to help navigate it?
2: Absolutely. I have a ton of ideas. Yeah, oh, I'm sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Go see Phoebe um, when she has her practice. <laughs> yeah. I'm like beaming, and I'm like, which one should I bring up? Yes. I know. That's like, yeah, that's a very opinionated question. For you. How long do we have? Honestly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh. I think that my first tip would be to help normalize those thoughts to go to a specialist in OCD. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really beneficial for me, um, in understanding that like these thoughts are very normal. Um, mm-hmm. one activity that I really appreciate <clears throat> was going around and asking different people, like, have you ever had these intrusive thoughts before? Mm-hmm. And a lot of them said yes, whether or not they had uh-huh. OCD, um, mm-hmm. which is really important. Um, and then recognizing that you are not your thoughts and that's not your mm-hmm. values, moving towards our values can look like moving away from the content of our thoughts. So there's content of our thoughts and then there's the values um, that we hold. Yeah. Inside. It's important to recognize that we can live in alignment with our values without listening mm-hmm. to or being defined by the content of our thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um I think also it's important to learn and educate ourselves about OCD because Mm -hmm. it can really help normalize um, different thoughts and behaviors and really help us to decrease shame around them. Um, I'm trying to think another one for eating disorders and OCD is that it's going to be really hard because at some points... Um, it's going to be about like weight loss and at other points, mm-hmm. there's going to be the underlying desire to like compulse in different ways and move from OCD symptoms to eating disorder. Mm-hmm. symptoms. I think yeah. whatever the morbidity, it's always going to be, um, tricky to navigate recovery because once you mm-hmm. heal from one, you kind of, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and so that's going to be really difficult, but it's mm-hmm. also really possible, um, And I think with OCD and eating disorders specifically, it can be frustrating because you can recover fully from an eating disorder, but you can't necessarily not have OCD anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that can be hard to hold because you're kind of like, I'm done with one thing. Like, why can't I be done with the other? Yeah. Um, But it becomes so much more manageable and it gets so much better. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think um, doing exposures and, um, even for eating disorders as well, like exposing mm-hmm. yourself to foods is really important, but yeah. also exposing yourself to the thoughts that scare you in the um in different ways. And so I think those are really important tools. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's so helpful. And now I have like all these questions swirling in my head. <laughs> One thing you said, which reminds me of something you posted. I think it was you posted the other day on your Instagram that was talking about. I'm going to totally butcher it, but it was basically talking about. We talk a lot about, and I know I talk about this a lot with my clients, of this idea of like reframing your thoughts. Mm -hmm. And you posted something, and you'll probably remember it more than me. That was like also spend time sitting in that thought that you're having. Do you know what post I'm talking about? Yes, I do. I do. Okay, (laughs) can you talk more to that because you kind of just brought something up that made me think about that of the idea of like not taking your thoughts as like facts and knowing you can have your values that are separate from your thoughts, but also what it looks like to hold space for your thoughts too. Um, and not immediately just like reframe them. So I would love for you to speak more to that too.
2: Absolutely. Um, I was really excited about that post. Um, I've been thinking about it for a bit, but something I like to do whenever I have a client who says like, I'm an idiot or like, I'm stupid. Mm -hmm. I'm like, Hey, can you reframe that to something positive? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's my go-to. It's my instinct to say that because I'm like, that's a um, a negative thought pattern. And we want to Mm -hmm. change that to a more positive, more balanced view. And I think there's space for that because when you've learned different things about yourself and you repeat them, it becomes kind of like Mm -hmm. your go-to and um, what you automatically think about yourself. Um, so it can be helpful, but at the same token, I think sometimes we minimize people's pain and how they Mm. really feel about themselves. And so if someone says like, I am ugly, like Mm. you can say, like, say something good about yourself instead, but do we really Mm. make space for how they actually feel? Do we really kind of process that with them and take time to sit in those emotions? Because Mm. rarely do people want you to just tell them like the opposite is true, and rarely will they believe what you say, even if you do correct them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think really unpacking, well, okay, I hear you. I validate what you're saying. Why do you believe that? Um, yeah. What can you do to, you know, honor that emotion and honor the fact that that belief kept you safe um, in our society, but also mm-hmm. let's change that as well. Yeah. Which
1: I feel like is so helpful because you're kind of teaching them almost like both and of like, okay, here's how we can reframe this thought into something that's way more supportive. But at the same time, this thought shows me that there's deeper things like let's unravel this thought too. Because if you're thinking like you're ugly or whatever the negative thought pattern may be, let's figure out where that came from. Yeah. So another thing you were mentioning was exposure. Um, and I know that's something that I do a lot with my in-disorder clients too as we're working to navigate like
2: fear foods
1: and exposing, and especially what we talked on a minute ago with clean eating and exposing yourself to eating out or sweets yeah. or whatever those fear foods may be. What are some other exposures that you do with clients who are struggling with OCD?
2: Yes, um, you have to get really creative for um, exposures and clients with OCD. Um, yeah. but it's really fun um, sometimes. Not fun. I don't know if that's the right word, but I know um, what you mean.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so so they might sound really wild, um, but for mm-hmm. example, um, if someone has a thought that whenever I hold a knife in the kitchen, I think about how I could harm my my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you do is with the therapist, you might hold that knife in your hand mm-hmm. and see what happens. And usually what happens with mm-hmm. people with OCD is they're so scared and they're so afraid, but they realize they can hold that knife and not harm someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, they keep doing it until the anxiety goes down. Usually there's a scale rating from one to seven or so um, mm-hmm. how anxious you feel. And now you're not going to start off with something like that. If that's like a seven or eight on the. Season. Yeah. Um, but that's an example of something you could do to combat those thoughts is to show yourself that like the bad thing won't happen when you encounter it. Now, another mm-hmm. thing that's important is that we can't guarantee that the bad thing won't happen. We can't mm-hmm. guarantee that if we expose ourselves to germs or um, contaminated things that we won't get sick. Cause we might. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the thought behind it and um, the good thing about it is that you get used to the uncertainty and you're able to sit with it and you're able to think about your values um, mm-hmm. and lead out of those when you practice pausing um, and really holding um, those truths um, close to you. Uh, but I think it's really important also to to engage in those activities and mm-hmm. to make sure that we're exposing ourselves because those are natural things that are going to come up. You're going to have to cut something in the kitchen or yeah. you know, you're going to have to be exposed mm-hmm. to someone who might be sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being able to sit with that discomfort is really important to learn.
1: Yeah. That makes me think too, because one thing I talk a lot about and I'm sure other dietitians and probably therapists too, with clients in the realm of like orthorexia and clean eating and even really all the realms of eating disorders is like calories and how we're going to see calories everywhere. You're going to go out to the restaurant calories are going to be on the menu. So we can't really avoid them, but how can we get to the point where you go up to the restaurant and you see the calories and you're still going to choose what you want versus like, what's the lowest calorie. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I feel like that's so helpful where it's like, sure. There's some things that they can probably like completely avoid in a healthy way and never have to, worry about but there's so many things that we're going to be exposed to like that example of like cutting something in the kitchen like you're probably going to do that almost every day um and so that's where i feel like the work that you and other therapists do is so helpful of helping people gain back like normal or quote i don't love using the word normal but just like normal life things like cutting an apple in the kitchen is so helpful. So you talked about values and having them really align with their values. What is that? Like if you're sitting down with a client and y'all are working through what their values are, how does that look like to someone? And like if there's someone listening who's trying to figure out like, okay, what do I value? Because I know, you know, when we hear values, we hear, think about like a company has like their core values and people may not necessarily think how like they themselves can have their own values as a person. So, yeah, you know, what does that look like helping clients kind of figure out what they value, what their values are?
2: Yeah, so um, I think part of values work is that it takes some time to get to because sometimes your eating disorder or your OCD will hijack your values. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I had someone the other day, I said, what are your values? Like, what is keeping you, you know, working towards recovery? And they said Mm -hmm. health and fitness. And I was like, well, (laughs) (laughs) those are not your values. Those are your Mm -hmm. values. Um, Yeah. And so I think it's important to kind of like write down what at your core, when you're not thinking about weight gain, when you're not thinking about the possibilities of discomfort, what do you value as a person? Um, and usually those are things like compassion or mm-hmm. um, kindness, you know, um, loving other people that I care about um, mm-hmm. well. And so I think when you think about that and you think about what your actions are leading you towards, mm-hmm. um, you know, can you love others well when you're restricting? Can you love others mm-hmm. well when you're compulsively Engaging in behaviors. Um, Yeah. And so then you're kind of motivated to move towards your values and move towards constantly living that life that you value and want to live. Mm -hmm.
1: Which is so hard, like you mentioned, because it's easy, especially if it's like years and years of an eating disorder or trauma or both. And then the OCD, like, it's hard to figure out what is your own values and what is your eating disorder's values. Because especially, I see this with clients who've struggled with it since they were very young, where they've never probably even known or thought about, like, what do I value? Like, I feel like my eating disorder is my identity. So, what my eating disorder values is what I value. So, taking the step, which I can see how that could take time, too, of like, I don't know what I value, or trying to find value outside of, like, you said with that, like, health and fitness, or like, I value the size of my body like trying to find it can it probably seems crazy at first to some clients to think like what can I value outside of that like I feel like that's like the ultimate Um, but at the same time I'm sure it's very freeing of like there's more to life like you can value just being a good friend or like value compassion like you said Um, yeah that's so cool that you do that work with clients too do you feel like Coronavirus. Do you do you see how like could situations like this be like really hard for someone who is navigating OCD?
2: Yes, I think that contamination um, and health anxiety related mm-hmm. OCD can be really hard during this time if you haven't been doing exposure therapy. Yeah, but if you've been doing exposure therapy for a long time, I've noticed a trend where mm-hmm. a lot of people feel like they were really prepared um, and able to. Um, of sit with the discomfort really well and not have symptoms go up too high which has been mm. so empowering and amazing to see
1: yeah that's so good and that makes a lot of sense where like if you've been doing the hard work for a while of navigating OCD then it wouldn't be quite as maybe probably so hard but not quite yeah. as hard as if it was something that was like newer yeah so then how do you see with clients you mentioned this earlier as far as like in eating disorder work we talk about recovery all the time of like recovery is possible like you can get there and so it kind of gives a little bit of like an end point even though we know like is there ever not that no one ever recovers but like it's kind of a lifelong journey still but then with OCD like you mentioned it's not as much of a recovery point it's more so managing it and learning to live with it so how do you navigate especially when you have a client who has is struggling with an eating disorder and is struggling with ocd how do you navigate kind of like hold that space of like okay this piece the eating disorder may not be with you forever but this ocd piece will probably be with you forever like how do you navigate that in a compassionate way i guess
2: yeah i think acknowledging and validating that these things are different um but they can both exist together that you can have one recovery fully and one that's a lifelong process um and I think people get really frustrated at that Mm. that like there's no end-all-be-all cure type of thing Mm -hmm. um and the fact that they'll always have intrusive thoughts and always have you know possible obsessions um And so I think what really helps is reminding people that it does get better. And I think OCD and with eating disorders and trauma, um, it gets to a point where it's so debilitating that you just want to get better than you are right now. Yeah. Um, And sometimes people are like, what's the point if it's not going to get fully better? Mm -hmm. But I think when you get to those lows in your eating disorder or your OCD, you kind of find yourself thinking like, anything is better than this. Um, yeah. Which is a really great uh, thought to have because it mm-hmm. propels me towards more recovery.
1: Yeah. It's almost that idea of kind of hitting rock bottom in a sense of like, mm-hmm. I am so tired. I know I hear that all the time of like, I'm so tired of this. Like, and it's still that we're like two things. almost being true at the same time of like, I'm so tired and I'm ready for this to be behind me or in terms of OCD, like, I'm ready to be able to, like, feel more empowered to navigate this. But at the same time, I'm so afraid of letting go of, like, my behaviors and letting go of this thing that's become almost, like, who I am or, like, become a, quote, unquote, like, safe space for me, even though we know it's not. But, yeah, so it's hard navigating that, but also very brave of, you know, the clients and everyone we know who reaches out and gets help navigating that, like, this is hard, but I want to do this kind of thing. Yes. Mm. Uh, well, this has been so great um, and so helpful for me myself. I'm like, I mean, as dieticians, we don't learn about this kind of stuff in school. So conversations like this help me to learn a lot more too. And I know everyone listening um, will definitely have a lot to take away. Um, to more questions. One's a short quote. Well, they're both kind of short questions, but for people listening, because I think like we've talked about kind of throughout this, like I feel like OCD has become just like a, an adjective people use to describe themselves or someone else or things like that. So what, like if someone's listening and there was like one thing you hope they maybe took away from this or took away about like what OCD is, what it's not, yeah. what would be kind of like the
2: big like
1: almost like summary that you would want someone to hear
2: definitely um the word that's always been really helpful for me is ego dystonic mm-hmm. um so that means opposite to your values the ocd for those who don't suffer with it to know that um it's not in alignment with what you want and it's not a good mm-hmm. or like positive feeling um and for those who suffer from ocd that it is not who you are it is not your values um the content of your thoughts is not who you are Um, Mm. so that's really important
1: yeah that's so helpful to hear because i know it's it's so easy to believe the opposite to be true that i am like i'm these must be my values because these thoughts are captivating my mind so to find freedom of like no that's not who you are and like Yeah, that's so good. So last question, which I love to ask guests this because it's just something, a fun fact I like to know about people too, but as a dietitian, one of my favorite things to ask people is what their favorite, what's a favorite food memory that you have? So Mm -hmm. if there's like a favorite food you have from growing up, if there's a favorite restaurant, a trip you went on, and there was a a recipe you like to cook, whatever it may be, but what is a food memory, a favorite food memory that you have?
2: Wow, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, I'd probably have to say just going to Jenny's in college. Uh, yeah. um, like every time because I like didn't eat it my freshman year because mm-hmm. I was like so scared of dairy. Um, yeah. but I just loved every time that I got to go and realized that like, it was okay. It was good and it was fun. Um, yeah. And there were so different flavors to try and so much to do. And so it was just really a really good reminder of like diet culture doesn't have to win. So
1: yes. Oh, I love that. Yes. And that you can enjoy things like that without guilt. Cause I think there's also the thought of like, okay, I can go get ice cream, but I'm going to feel guilty after, or I have to do something to earn the ice cream. I might need to make sure I work out or all of that. So to be able to just, enjoy on a random Tuesday night with your friends and there'd be no obligation like nothing that you have to do to earn it. Yeah uh what's your favorite flavor
2: at jenny's oh my gosh gooey butter cake or uh, the yeah. and skillet one i really like that one too yes gosh yeah. i love it all and i love like how you can sample
1: all of them oh, my favorite flavor is the it's like the peanut butter uh, what is it like uh, chocolate uh, peanut or chocolate peanut butter plate something uh, chocolate uh, peanut. yeah <laughs> i can't remember what it's called but it's so good uh, i love it yeah i uh, love Jenny's now I'm like okay after this I need to go get Jenny's
2: <laughs> do they have it
1: in North Carolina or no oh gosh <laughs> in the, um, free oh yes that's good that's good um uh, well maybe if people want to find you if they aren't already following you on Instagram where can they find you I don't know do you have a website or just Instagram right now you do okay <laughs> Yes. Yeah, so where can people find you
2: you can find me at the dot lovely becoming um, or at my website wwmey colecom
1: Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for coming on. I know people are gonna learn a lot from this episode. So thank you for sharing your heart and I can't wait to see when you're a real therapist one day and have a private practice and
0: gosh, it's going to be amazing. So thank you so much. You. We hope you enjoyed this episode of food freedom podcast. If you're curious how you can support our podcast and help it reach more people like you, we would love if you would take a minute to rate and review the show and be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. We'll see you next episode.